trip to church today, amen, amen, I tell you what, that's all right, I'm grateful that it is well with our soul, regardless of what's going on around us, amen, if you would take your copy of God's word while our children's church is getting over here to the left at my, the welcome center, raised right there at the door, if any are left behind, he won't leave you, 2 Chronicles chapter 19, 2 Chronicles chapter 19, is where I'll invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's word this morning. If not, we'll have that on the screen here in just a moment for you also. But before we put the text up, I was just thinking about this week. Um, we talk a lot about stress levels in our world today, and we talk about them. I, I read some studies a while back that the most stressful job in the world is a hospital administrator. I'd imagine that's gotten even more so in the past 18 months or so. But... Um, you won't believe just right under that was a pastor, amen? I thought, yeah, I, I could agree to that. But I was thinking about the times and stuff we're dealing with, and I, I saw this picture. Carrie, we got the picture that we can put up? Uh, I, I saw this. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it says, I'm getting pretty tired of living through historical events. I mean, <laughs> imagine old Farley was having a bad day there, right? He probably never thought he'd be used as an illustration in a Baptist church. But anyway, it's, I saw that picture the other day and I thought, I know a lot of people that resemble that guy right there. And, you know, and maybe I'm one of them. We're living through some historical events. And, and I thought about this other one. Carrie, have you got the other one up here for us? Who said ministry was stressful? I'm 35 and I feel great. <laughs> you know, that's a good look fella right there, but I'm going to guess he's just a day or two over 35, don't y'all? But anyhow, I just thought those were funny, and I asked Carrie to help me with those as we got ready to talk about what we're going to share with you today. I'm going to speak to you today on the subject that the battle is not yours, it's God's, and there are so many times we fail to remember that. I forget that from time to time, and I would venture to say you do too. We forget that the battle does not belong to us, it belongs to the Lord, and thankfully there's some reference and there's some scripture that reminds us of the importance of remembering who the battle really belongs to. Second Chronicles chapter 19, verse 1, if you found your place and physically able, would you stand with me? Honor reverence the reading of God's word. I'm just going to read three verses here to introduce what we're talking about today. There is, of course, some more. We'll walk through a good portion of chapter 20. We'll not read it all, so nobody panic on me, okay? But uh, I do want to emphasize some important things to you here from the life of King Jehoshaphat, okay? Here's what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Then Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem, the capital. And Jehu, the son of Hananiah, the seer went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Verse 3 says, Nevertheless, aren't you grateful for words like that? Amen. Nevertheless, good things are found in you in that you remove the wooden images from the land. And notice these words and have prepared your heart to seek God. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that your mighty name that we just sang about today, 
God, that you would be exalted through the preaching as you have been through the singing time today. I pray, Father, that you would use us as an empty and willing vessel today, not by our own might, but filled with your spirit to be used for your glory. Help us to encourage the body of Christ and help us to point those toward you that are yet to meet you. And may we all leave here changed today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. You be seated. I'm reminded when I think about worship, I've shared with you before one of my favorite definitions of worship that I got from Ronnie Floyd years ago when I read his book, Life on Fire. And in that book, he defined worship as an encounter with Jesus Christ that results in a lifestyle change. Amen? I really believe that's true, that we all should leave here changed, whether you're a child of God or whether you've yet to know him, you should leave here changed by the power of the gospel every time we worship. Well, as we look at this text today in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, I, I'm going to talk mostly in chapter 20, but I wanted to introduce to you these first three verses of chapter 19 because it's all in the same context of what's going on in Jehoshaphat's life. As you know that he certainly had a wicked father, Ahab, that served before him. There was a lot of things that went on that shouldn't have went on, and there was a lot of things that needed to be changed. But this verse 3 really stirred my heart when he said, he told him, he said, listen, you have removed the wooden images and you have set your heart, prepared your heart to seek God. So if we realize today that the battle is not ours but God's, there are some things that we find from the text today that I believe will help us greatly because you and I are too quick to pick up the stick and pick up the sword too quick to want to be on defense and too quick to try to fix things ourselves without surrendering those needs to the one who bought us and lives within us. Notice with me, if you would, here in chapter 19, we find some words about personal preparation. See, I believe in order for God to use his children effectively, preparation is absolutely necessary. I try to remind you most of the times on Wednesday nights, if to make sure that you prepare your heart for worship on the Lord's day, that you would prepare your heart each time to come to God's house and worship him because it is very important that you do that. Uh, there's no switch to flip when you walk through the door. There's no coat to put on that's your worship coat or your meet with Jesus coat. There is a preparation that must take place and that involves two things that we find right here in these opening verses. The first thing we notice in preparation was is that Jehoshaphat had to go through a process of the elimination of hindrances. As I told you, his father was a wicked king. He had filled the land with idol worship. He was not one who followed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the worship of idols had to be eliminated from that land, from Judah, before God could bless the people. And I want you to know that same principle is true today. I believe in the lives of God's people today that we have allowed some idols to come within our life that must be removed in order for God to fully bless what we're doing. You know, I was thinking about America in particular, and I thought about that there are two types of worship that are dangerous to our spiritual health and well-being. One we just talked about, idol worship, I-D-O-L, which is giving affection to something or someone 
above God. There's a real problem with idol worship in America today. Would you agree? I believe that all of my heart, and I want you to know today that it is dangerous to the spiritual well-being of individual Christians, to Christian families, to Christian churches, to our communities and beyond. Idol worship is dangerous, but can I tell you there's another kind that's equally dangerous, and it's also idol worship, but it's spelt differently. It's not I-D-O-L like something or someone you give affection to more than God. It is spelled I-D-L-E, idol worship, which means you come to church and go through the motions of what we have termed to be worship without encountering Jesus Christ and it resulting in a lifestyle change. You know, I reminded our boys a few weeks ago about what Jeremiah Castile said on, uh, uh, on Gridiron Day about just this much, just getting this much better every day. And you can translate that into your Christian life and realize that that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to get better every day. He wants us to get closer to him. He wants us to serve him faithfully. I had a wonderful professor at New Orleans Seminary. His name is Dr. Steve Parr. Steve's been a friend of mine for many years, or I guess I should say Dr. Parr. But anyhow, he's now serving as director of missions of the Gwinnett Metro Association over in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Worked with Georgia Baptist Convention for many years and a dear friend of mine. And he used to say to us in our class, Christian education class, that he lived his life by the 1% rule. Now this is a very disciplined man. You just have to know him. He's a very organized man. He is such an organized man that he makes men like me nervous. Have y'all met folks like that? So organized. I mean, man, he has got it figured out. He comes in, he's got all his papers and all of his stuff exactly right, and people like me really struggle uh, being around people like him. But anyhow, he said this. He said, I live my life by the 1% rule because I believe tomorrow I can do things 1% better than I did them yesterday. Wow. He said, and every day, and I think, well, after about, you know, 100 days, then you're perfect. But anyhow, he just wanted to encourage us as ministers of the gospel to never rest on what we had done in the past, never get comfortable with any victories of the past, never get too burdened by the losses and, and, and the defeats of the past, and continue to press forward and do 1% better each day. But idol worship, I-D-L-E, is a very dangerous type of worship in this country and around the world because it is causing people to think that they're okay and they're close to God when they're not. So ladies and gentlemen, there needed to be some elimination of the hindrances, but there also needed to be a second thing of this preparation, and that was the cultivation of the heart. Let's talk about your heart for a minute. Now, I'm not talking about that physical four-chambered thing in your chest that's got valves and veins and arteries and all this kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your spiritual heart. The Bible tells us a couple of things that we need to make sure we do with our heart. Here's what they had said to Jehoshaphat. He said, the Lord has made sure because of what you have done is that you have taken the wooden images and you have prepared your heart to seek God. Now, when we talk about preparation of our heart, there's two things the Bible teaches us to do. And this is not on the screen, but you want to write this down. The first thing the scripture tells us to do about our heart in preparation is to guard it. 
Proverbs 4.23 says, keep or guard, depending on which translation you're using, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. That means everything that comes from you has been seeded in your spiritual heart. What comes forth from your life, what comes out of your mouth and all that kind of stuff is from your heart. That's why it's very important that we take every thought captive before it takes root in our heart and causes us to live a life that is not pleasing to God. We've got to guard our hearts. Be careful what gets into your heart. And the second thing we know is that we've got to do about our heart is not just guard it, we've got to guide it. Well, now, I know this is not popular because it sounds real sentimental and touchy-feely and warm and fuzzy when people say, when you don't know what to do, just follow your heart. Well, I want to stand here as a minister of the gospel based on the authority of the word of God today and tell you that it is dangerous for you to follow your heart. Now, you want me to tell you why? Because the Bible teaches us in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, that your heart is desperately wicked and who can know it? Well, you say, wait a minute, I've been transformed. I'm no longer mine. I belong to Jesus and all this. Absolutely, but you are still human. You are still prone to sin and you are still prone to listen to the wisdom of men and trust it over the wisdom of God. It's very dangerous to do that. And I remind you all this regularly just so you don't forget because I know repetition is the way we learn everything. But I know that you need to be reminded not to be following your heart but guide your heart because when you follow your heart, your heart can lead you in the wrong direction. See, ladies and gentlemen, when we've been transformed, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit of God is the one we submit to his authority and lordship that he would guide our heart. Amen? It's very important. Always remember, never follow your heart because it can lead you wrong. I remember Junior Hill used to always say that too. These people would say, hey, if you can't go with your heart, just go with your gut. He'd say, you need to remember it's your gut is for digestion, not discernment. Amen? Dear God, I'm not following my gut. It's led me wrong for a long time. Amen? Let me look around. Maybe y'all shouldn't either, but I, I don't know. No, don't do that. Cultivate your heart to be prepared to be used by God by guiding and guarding your heart. It is very important. Submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Remember Wednesday night, if you were here Wednesday night, you'll remember it. If not, I'd encourage you to go back and watch Wednesday night. We talked about Hosea chapter 6, verse 1, 2, and 3. As we were talking about those verses, if you read them on the surface, it looks like the people were returning to God, but here's what Hosea was saying to them. He said, you're trying to return to God the superficial way, and he's not going to accept it. He talked about their shallow confession, and I read something to you from Warren Wearsby that was really close to my heart. Warren Wearsby said this about the people of Hosea's day. He said their concern was for healing and not cleansing. I believe in America today, we want God to take away the coronavirus more than we want him to clean us up from the inside out. I want you to know today, ladies and gentlemen, I'm with you. I'm on the team. I want things gone, gone, gone. I'm tired of it. I really am, and I know you're tired of it. But can I tell you, I'm more concerned with how he cleanses us and just fixes our problem. Wearsby goes on to say this. He said the people of Hosea's day, they saw their nation in difficulty, and they wanted God to make things right, but they did not come with broken hearts and surrendered wills. Did you hear me? 
God fix it, but I'm not going to, I'm not, my heart's not broke. I'm not surrendering my will. He said this, they wanted happiness and not holiness. They wanted a change of circumstances, but not a change of character. Church, hear me today. I want God to change our circumstances. You want God. We all want God to change our circumstances. But what we need more than anything else is we need to come brokenhearted before the Lord Jesus Christ and plead with him to cleanse us from the inside out, to change us, to transform us, and to change our character and not just fix our circumstances. Oh, personal preparation. Well, let's move on over into chapter 20 a little bit, if you will. And notice there's something else we need to talk about just briefly. Before this all took place, the, pre the preparation was going on. It led to a problematic situation. Now, if you read chapter 20, and I'm just going to paraphrase a little bit for you for the sake of time, you find out that things go bad real quick for Jehoshaphat. There's an impending raid that they're told about that is coming their way. They're told they're going to have to prepare for that. And notice what verse 3 says, that Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and professed a fast, proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. Wow, imagine that. Jehoshaphat says, hey, there's danger on the horizon and called the people together. And you know what they did? They came together. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Wow, what might God do in God blessed America if people would do just those things? There was an impending raid that was taking place. The important response was that they came to seek the Lord right there in verse four. But also notice, if you will, just a little bit of verses five through 13, there was an impassioned request. So Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly in the house of the Lord before the new court and he began to quiz God. He began to ask God questions. He began to say, hey, Verse seven, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before the people of Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? He's saying, hey, is this not the same God we were talking to earlier? Oh, yes. He said in verse 10, and now hear the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir whom you would not let invade Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of the possession which you have given to us inherit. He said, look, there is a problem here. <laughs> you, you gave us this. You promised us this. What's going on? Are you not going to judge these people? And then in verse 13, it says, now all Judah, and I like this, with their little ones. Oh, did you hear that? They got the youngins involved in this. They were modeling for them with the little ones, their wives and their children, and they stood before the Lord. When they had a problem, they went straight to God for the answers. They humbled themselves and they sought his face. What might we learn from that today in God blessed America? But then notice, if you will, in verse 14, there was some prophetic information. The Spirit of the Lord came upon the prophet and here's what he did. 
he sat in the midst of the assembly in verse 14 and then right there in verse 15 we find they got some proper perspective. He said, he said to them, listen all you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat. He called him out and said, look, I'm not just talking to everybody, I'm talking to you personally. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. Wait a minute, for the battle is not yours, but God's. There was some proper perspective for him. Why? Because he told him that there should be no fear. There should be no faltering. Why is that? Because we've got to remember whose battle it is in the first place. Do you remember the story very well from your younger days, I'm sure? In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17, the story about King David, the little runt shepherd boy who they thought wouldn't matter to amount to nothing. You know, he might not have, but when God anointed him, God set him aside, God used him, and you know the story very well, how he took down Goliath of Gath and how he delivered the nation of Israel from the Philistines. You remember when, when, when uh, Goliath came out to meet him and he saw this little old runt shepherd boy and he laughed at him. Amen, y'all remember that? He laughed at him. He said, y'all are insulting me, bringing out this little shepherd boy. I, I thought you'd at least bring out a warrior. Oh, he just saw the size of the boy. He didn't see the size of the God who was in the boy, amen? So the boy was there and he made fun of him and all this kind of stuff. And you remember David's response? He said, you come to me with spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. You know why? Because the battle is the Lord's. David understood that. You and I must understand that. And in the battle, ladies and gentlemen, I want to remind you of some things that God will be for you just as he was for David and just as he is here for Jehoshaphat. When you're in a battle and God is leading and God is faithful as he always is, he will always be your strength. He will provide all the strength you need. He will always be your source. He has all the resources that you need for the battle ahead and he will always be your sustainer. He'll be your strength, he'll be your source, he'll be your sustainer. He will not leave you in the battle alone. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about a God who had people walk around the walls of Jericho for six days and everybody thought this crazy till the seventh day. They're just walking around here in silence. What's wrong with these people? We don't have to worry about those folks. They're not much of a threat. Once again, they looked at the people and they didn't look at the God of the people. And on the seventh day, they walked around seven times. At the end of the seventh time, they shouted and the walls fell flat. Ladies and gentlemen, the God who brought victory at Jericho is the same God who made the sun stand still in Joshua chapter 10. He is the same God who will be there for you in your deepest hour of need. And when you think you're all alone, you're never alone if you're a child of God. He is in the battle with you and for you. Prophetic information, a proper perspective. But notice with me, if you will, in verse 16, he also talks about our personal position. He said, tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook before the witness of Jeriel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Did you hear that? Notice the next two words. 
Position yourselves. Now I know one thing about from playing sports in school, being in the proper position was very important. I can remember playing seven technique and I remember my responsibility on the option was quarterback. If I ever got out of position, it's real easy for that quarterback to cut and get upfield and make a good game. I got in trouble many times for being out of position. Sometimes I think they're going wide, they'd cut inside. Sometimes I think they're cutting inside, they'd go wide. And that's when you really got in trouble for losing contain, right? Now, being in position is very important. What about personal position? He's saying, listen, there's a battle coming. You ain't got to fight in it. You got to position yourself. Church, I want you to know there's a battle for the heart and soul of Christianity and God bless America today. And I believe it's very important that we position ourselves right. There's some things I think is very important that we cannot miss. One is this. I believe if we're going to be positioned right, we're going to have to drop the rocks. You know what we want to do? We want to fight the battle. We want to throw the rocks. We want to throw the spears. We want to do it our way. Now think back to Joshua again, Joshua chapter 6. Do you think for a minute, Joshua is a man of God. He's been promised victory. God has told him, just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. Be of good courage. Fear not, I'll never leave you. But yet, when God gives him the battle plan for Jericho, I'll bet you he was a little bit thinking, we're going to do what? Now, I know you read Bible stories and you think Joshua's like, oh, Lord, I trust you. Oh, Lord, I see you. No. He was as human as me and you. He probably thought, we're just going to walk around the wall and we're not going to climb the wall. We're not going to send somebody over the wall to start killing people. No, you're going to walk. You're going to walk. What would have happened if Joshua would have done it his way? Are y'all with me? I'll tell you what would have happened. They would have been defeated. Do you know how I know? Because later on in the book of Joshua, he did things his way. Remember? Just a little bit after Jericho, had a little old place called Ai, and said, I'll tell you what, we don't have to trouble everybody. Let's just send a few thousand up there and whip them boys real quick and just come on back. We don't have to use all of our resources. We don't have to be all in. Joshua was broken and he humbled himself and he repented and God raised him up again and he went back and he did it God's way and he got victory too many times we want to do it our way too many times we want to do things that suit us we're going to have to drop the rocks and you know what else we're going to have to do we're going to have to discover our rescue notice what he said in the rest of that verse Position yourselves and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Wait a minute, I heard that somewhere else in the Old Testament. Didn't you, Miss Connie? I bet you did. Didn't you, Mark? You, you remember a guy named Moses? You ever heard of him, Marty? Maybe? Okay, just check it. Y'all probably related, aren't you? He's from way down. <laughs> He's from Randolph County, amen. <laughs> Moses led the children of Israel to a little old place called the Red Sea. You heard of that? Stand still 
and see the salvation of the Lord. When they looked at the Red Sea and they said, we're fish bait. When they looked behind them and said, we're chopped liver to Pharaoh's army. But Moses had his eyes on God because God told him what he was going to do. He stretched out that rod over the sea and told the children of Israel to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you believe it or not, but I just believe by faith that the word of God is 100% inspired and true, and I believe that water parted wide enough for all of them to get across on dry ground. I believe once they got on the other side, I bet while they were going through, I know some of you think, hey, these are Bible people. They were walking through the dry ground the Red Sea was parted, and they were like, we knew God was going to do it all the time. He's wonderful. You know what I bet they were doing? I don't know about y'all. I trust God, but I wouldn't have been walking. Would y'all been running? Because he might have, you know, got busy or something and forgot and let the water back a little too soon, right? No, God's not going to do that, but here's the deal. When they got to the other side, they were going through the Red Sea and they were experiencing a major miracle of God, deliverance of God. But what really got them was when they got to the other side and they looked behind them. Here comes Pharaoh's army like, we got them now. Oh, no, no, no. We're fixing to let the water back in on you boys. And when they were on the other side, they looked back and they watched Pharaoh's army drown. They saw the salvation of the Lord. Oh, we got to discover our rescue. Then notice with me also there in verse 17, there's a powerful presence. He said, see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them for the Lord is with you. Who's with you? The Lord's we. When is he with you? Well, I read something else that helped me. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 19. Notice what the scripture says. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. That means the east for everybody in the back, okay? When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Here's what he's saying. Through the fire... Through the flood, the children of God are covered by the blood. Whether whether the flood waters are coming or the fire is raging or what's going on, we can find comfort in the powerful presence of God who's promised to never leave us. The battle is his. It's not ours. But I gotta give you this. Or y'all go home and say, man, I don't know why the preacher left this off today. But notice with me in verse 18. There was a powerful celebration. You know, I'm of the humble yet accurate opinion that sometimes we spend too much time mourning our losses than we do celebrating our victories. And when I think about that, I want you to look here in verse 18 and notice what it takes to really enjoy victory. Verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. In this powerful celebration, it began by a submission of preference. Well, we've all got preferences, don't we? There's some things you like to do that wouldn't matter much to me. Things I like to do wouldn't matter much to you. 
I, I've told y'all before, you know, I, I, I thought when I was growing up that I had to, I had to make myself like hunting. I had to because that's what men do. Real men hunt, right? They get up before daylight. They sprinkle dough urine on their boots and they, and they, it's freezing cold and they put on so much stuff they can't even pull the trigger and they get up in these tree stands that people my size don't need to be in and, and, and one morning it just dawned on me out there. I mean, I'm freezing. I'm hungry because I couldn't eat nothing because you get the Waffle House smell on you, the deer won't come up. and That was all that was open, Waffle House. Praise God for the Waffle House. Amen. But uh, it dawned on me one day. I said, self, I said, uh, you don't like this. I said, no. I, I began to have a con I was asking myself questions and answering. That's the definition of being insane. I know. And I, I was like, no, I don't like this. And I thought about something about and I looked at my watch. I wore a watch that day for some reason. I never wear a watch. I looked at it and I thought, once those seconds start ticking off, then you know you don't know how many of these seconds you got left. Why don't you go do something you like? Amen? So I did. Now, don't get me wrong, I still got guns, and I know how to use them. Amen? It's still America right now. <laughs> I mean, but I just, that wasn't for me, and I tried to make it be for me. And some people do that. Now, I got some friends that love it. Boy, I got a friend of mine over in Georgia. He took a picture of himself. I wasn't up to see it, but he sent it to me. At 3.30 in the morning, because he was going hunting yesterday. And I'm like, are you nuts? But yeah, I mean, he that, but he likes that. I mean, he enjoys that, and I think that's great. But everybody has preferences. Everybody has stuff they like and they don't like. But when it comes to our relationship with God, our relationship with other believers and worship, it's very important that we submit our preferences to Him and live by His principle. Think back to Hosea six again. The religious people of that day, you know what they were depending on? They were depending more on their religious words than they were their righteous deeds. Listen, I want you to know today when you come here, I don't just want you to come hear the sermon. I want you to go live the sermon. It's not important you just come to church, but that we leave these walls and we go be the church. Very important. And when we submit our preferences to God, we know it's not about us, it's all about him. And then this is what I really like. There were some shouts of praise. Wait a minute, this couldn't have been a Baptist bunch. No. I've had people ask me that before. Said, you, just, you think that clapping and shouting and all that kind of stuff and glory to God, you think all that's okay? Absolutely. Let me tell you this about worship. Worship should never be legalistically where you have to be like somebody else to be right with God. Amen? If you don't enjoy clapping and it's not your thing, that's fine. You don't have to. I don't want to be in a church where I can't clap, but I don't want to be in one where I have to. Amen? I mean, it's, it's not your thing, that's fine. You say, I'm just not like Brian. I'm not a woo kind of person. That's okay. You ain't got to be. They put people like me and people like you in this world to balance each other out. Amen? It's really okay. But listen, I want you to understand, it is quite all right to shout praises unto God. 
Now, this is for all God's children. It doesn't matter what denomination you are. It is fine. You know why? Well, tell me, preacher. Well, here's what the Bible says. Psalm 95, 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 98, 4 says, Shout joyfully to the Lord of all the earth. Break forth in song. Rejoice and sing praises. Wow. It's all right. Not only do we have shouts of praise, but he talked about songs of preeminence and I'm done. He said, you should praise the beauty of his holiness. Did you see that? And, and then notice what they said. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. See, our songs, ladies and gentlemen, should declare the preeminence of Christ to all who sing with us and all who hear our voice. It's not just that we should declare the presence of Christ or the prominence of Christ, but the preeminence of Christ must be stressed. That's why I like that little chorus we sing, Marty, called How Can I Keep From Singing? I sing it to myself a lot because it gives me joy. Sometimes when I have burdens, or which is pretty regular, and uh, they get bigger than I can bear, sometimes I've learned to break forth and singing praise to God is a real good remedy. Amen. Yesterday, I was honored, very humbled, to uh, speak at the funeral service for Mr. Nita Dennis. To all of us who grew up here, she taught in school. She's still Miss Dennis, right? And as we were at the graveside yesterday, I shared for 26 years. We calculated it up. It's a good chance she taught close to 4,000 students. And then 10 years later, with adult education after that, no telling. But everybody remembers Miss Dennis because she was always happy. I, I never remember seeing the only time I ever seen her mean all right, I'll tell you I, did, I didn't tell this at the graveside but I'm telling y'all okay and I love Miss Dennis but when I was in 8th grade you know in 7th 8th grade they used to make you go to study hall torture for a kid like me torture and Miss Dennis was my 8th grade study hall teacher and the first day here's what she said you will come in. And I mean, this just blew me away. I mean, this is Miss Nice You will come in. You will sit down. You will shut up. You will not chew gum. You will work on your homework. You will do this. If you need help, you will raise your hand. There will be no. She said, I may not be a very good biology teacher, but I am a great study hall teacher. <laughs> and I want to tell you something. By George, she was right. And I thought, Miss Dennis done got tough here, you know, because she was always, hey, honey, how you doing? But were you at study hall? <laughs> you know, uh, man, i never forget that. But yesterday at her service, this was said, and I feel like you would want to know and I want to share with you, that just recently, I guess before the pandemic, at the nursing home, they were having a singing time. Anybody that's ever dealt with friends or family members that have dementia and Alzheimer's, you're going to identify with this. I've seen the idea with my mother, and many of you do too. They tell us that for the people who have this disease, 
that if it goes, one of the last things to go is their memory of songs. And they had gathered in there and they began to sing and somebody went over and tapped her and said, uh, we're going to get Danita to sing with us. And you know what they began to sing, Marty? Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. And I thought as I was leaving the graveside yesterday, I was thinking about what I'd be talking to you about today. I remember thinking, I hope that when my days are done, that I could leave this world singing then sings my soul how great thou art church hear me too often we want to pick up the rocks too often we want to look for a solution when God is teaching me as he's teaching you that our very best response is to say the battle is not mine it's God's Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you so much for just the privilege to be here in this place today. God, I want to thank you for the privilege to speak into the life of every person in this room and those who will worship by way of internet. God, they really matter to me, and I know they matter to you. And God, I don't know what battles they may be facing today. I know we've all got some common battles that we deal with from day to day, but some of them are specific. Some are very personal. Some are very painful. Father, I just pray today that somebody will get help by hearing from your word, not my words, but yours. As Jehoshaphat was reminded and as David reminded Goliath, the battle is the Lord's. May somebody today get free of trying to fix it. May somebody drop their rocks and may they discover their rescue. God, help us to stand still in your presence see the salvation of the Lord help us to see when you show up help us to witness your mighty work and God remind us to celebrate remind us to celebrate your goodness and the victory you bring remind us that regardless of how difficult the days how dark the hour that we can celebrate every day what you did on Calvary what you gave us, fathers, your children, is something the hell itself can't steal away. Father, may somebody today get free of the burden of sin. May somebody be born again today, saved by your marvelous grace. And God, may you lead your children to deeper surrender. Maybe there's somebody here today you've been calling to really, really step out and step up. They're holding back for fear they might fail, for fear that they might not be able to accomplish goals you put before them, for fear of what others think or say.
God, free them from that today and help them find peace following your heart for them as you guide our hearts to follow you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand our feet all across the house today. As you're standing your feet, I want you to hear me. If your burden's too big to bear, take it to the Lord. If your struggle's more than you can stand, take it to the Lord. Whatever decisions you need to make, pray you'd honor Christ for your decision today. Marty, you lead us when you're ready, buddy. seated our ushers are coming I want to encourage you to be faithful today as always in giving uh, as I remind you most of the time we still believe that the tithe is holy unto the Lord 
We believe that's what the Bible teaches us, and we teach it here without any stutter, stammer, or compromise, amen, because we believe that's how God has chosen to fund and fuel his church and to use us to touch the world across the street and around the world. And I want to thank you for your faithfulness in the past because I'm more concerned of what it does for you, amen, because it teaches you dependence on God. It teaches you to trust him regardless of your situations. Oh, Angie and I have got many stories across the years when it seemed foolish to trust God and what he said to do. And boy, he has been so faithful even when it looked foolish, amen. Uh, that's just the kind of God he is. He likes showing up when it looks like he won't, amen, and he does. So as you give today, you give faithfully to the Lord and know that your church is making an effort in many ways to touch people with the gospel, like I said, across the street and around the world, and I'm grateful to be a part and partner with you in that venture. So let's bow our heads together and ask God's blessings on our giving. our mission personnel who have found themselves in a challenging place during this unique time in history. Participants have become better prayers and missionaries are reminded of the love and the support they have from Alabama Baptist. We were able to rejoice face to face over baptisms 
share our prayer requests, and actually pray with the participants on the call. It was so encouraging, so uplifting, and so unifying. GCC was truly a time when we felt loved and affirmed by the church. In this season that has led to so much uncertainty, change and canceled plans, it meant so much to us that the WMU was still leading out and encouraging and loving on our family. I also want to offer a word of encouragement uh, to give to the Myers-Mallory State Missions offering because it really benefits your missionaries that are sent out from Alabama to the ends of the earth. Uh, and I'm here to tell you the Great Commission Conversations was proof that we are not forgotten. We are known, we're loved, we're cared for. Uh, people want to hear our stories. We're incredibly grateful for that. Amen. Everybody, regardless of what you did, had to get creative and communication and things like that over the last year and a half. And we've all had to learn a whole lot of new stuff. And we pray that it's made us better. Amen. It's made us appreciate things more and made us grateful for the blessings of God. Your giving to missions is never in vain. So remember that as you pray through that prayer guide this week in your quiet time. These are real people that really need our help and really are out doing what God has called them to do just as you and I are. So it's great to be a partner in Great Commission work. Amen? Amen. Well, don't forget this Wednesday night at 6, children, students, adults, everybody. Uh, I'd encourage you to make Wednesday night as much as possible a part of your uh, weekly worship time. Uh, like I said, right now for the foreseeable future, we're just taking our Sunday morning, Sunday school and worship time and, and then on Wednesday and leaving everything else other than choir practice. Choir practice is at 430 today, Marty Wright, and our active deacons at 430 today also, so don't forget that. But do remember that, Wednesday night at 6, and I just want you to never forget that I love you. I really do. I mean that from the depths of my heart. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Amen. Let's stand together. Marty's going to sing us out, and I'll go around and catch you out front. Because he lives. Because.